God commanded his people to remember the most violent and final plague that he cast down on Egypt. So as God wanted the Israelites to do each year on the Passover, today on Rooted Daily, we are reflecting on the 10th and final plague, the death of the firstborn sons. Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where we're rooting ourselves in the Bible so we can grow with God a little more every day. I'm Brandon Levy, and the events of Exodus chapter 11, they take place about 430 years after Jacob, who God renamed Israel, moved down to Egypt with his 12 sons and their families. And they did so at the invitation of the Pharaoh of the day. And over the years, they grew into a mighty nation of uh, many thousands of people, but then a Pharaoh came to power who didn't know Israel, didn't know Israel's sons, and this Pharaoh feared that such a large body of foreigners might pose a threat to his nation and to his own personal power, probably. So he sought to control them by having them enslaved. And then he decided to exercise a little population control by having their male babies put to death. And in time, Israel cried out for God to save them, and God answered their cries by sending them Moses to lead them out of their slavery. God raised up Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart over and over, and the land lay in ruins after nine massive plagues devastated everything and everyone except for Israel. Water became blood, frogs came up out of the land, lice, locusts, flies flocked the livestock, the livestock died, the crops were destroyed by hail and boils covered their bodies, darkness covered the land. Still, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He saw all of this, and yet he refused to fear God. The work of God should soften our hearts. Hearing his word should open our minds, but for some, the devil has his way and they view God differently. And actually, they allow their heart to be hardened, seeing the same things and hearing the same words. You know, I heard it put this way. Imagine a frozen river with clay banks. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And Pharaoh saw the same thing as Moses. And it's not like Moses didn't start out with his own doubts, but the work of God softened his heart, but it hardened Pharaoh's. Now there was only one more plague to go, one more opportunity for Pharaoh to change his mind, to thaw the ice around his heart and submit to the Almighty God. And I trust by the grace of God that even now that was possible. But Pharaoh's going to refuse one last time, and he faces the ultimate consequence of unrepentant sin, death. Moses tells us about uh, what happens in Exodus 11, Uh, verse 4 through 10. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who was at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, Not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left 
Pharaoh. And the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. You know, the final plague, the death of the firstborn, was the great illustration to conclude God's grand demonstration of, of the lengths he will go to free his people. It shows, just as the New Testament says, that all are saved or lost, alive or dead, redeemed or doomed. There's no gray area, and all of us will one day face the final plague, death. Exodus 11.5 says that death will visit everyone from Pharaoh to the servant behind the handmill. Everywhere, from the smallest hut to the grandest palace, the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich, the most educated and the least educated. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You know, none of us is getting out of this world alive. In spite of all the medical science that has come out and, and, and tried to keep us living longer, the death rate is still one per person. And whether you've hardened your heart nine times before or you've opened your heart from the beginning, what matters is the final plague. And Moses says how to prepare for it. He goes to Pharaoh and he gives him one last opportunity to submit to the Almighty God. And when he refuses, Moses turns to his own people and he says this, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood of, of the Passover lamb, in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. And when the Lord goes down through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 23. Yeah, every firstborn male in the whole land of Egypt was going to die on Passover. Every firstborn, except the homes where the blood of the Passover lamb was displayed. And when the plague came upon Egypt, every firstborn male throughout Egypt where the blood was not on the doorpost and the lentils died. And finally, during the night, Pharaoh called upon Moses and he told him to take his people and go. You know, God, he didn't need 10 plagues to know the heart of Pharaoh. He is a merciful God, and so he waited as long as he could to allow Pharaoh to repent. But really, these ten plagues aren't about trying to muster enough power to topple the king of Egypt. They aren't really about the king of Egypt at all. These plagues were a demonstration to the Israelites and us today, all of God's people throughout history. When Moses went to Pharaoh the first time, Pharaoh doubled down with harsh labor. Moses goes to God, and he's full of doubt. Is this why you sent me? Why would you send me for this? And what did God say in response? Now you'll see. You know, the plagues, they were cast upon Egypt, not as the real means by which God would free Egypt. He could have struck Pharaoh down on day one and set his people free. No, the plagues were there so that we can see and we can remember today that God rescues his people, even from their own mistakes. He made sure this event would never be forgotten. Now, one of the reasons Passover has survived in the memory of God's people for 3,400 years is because it was 
in that moment, a remembrance of what God was doing. And everyone would remember it. First, the Egyptians would remember it. They were a proud people and Pharaoh was a proud man. So what did Passover mean to them? It meant a repayment of the evil they had visited upon the Israelites. You know, a previous Pharaoh had decreed the death of every newborn Israelite child in Egypt, and Egypt was receiving what uh, they, they dished out in kind for what they had done to God's people. In Genesis 12, 3, God promised, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you. They curse the Israelites, God curses them. And that promise has always been true for God's people, even today. You know, those who bless Christians will be blessed. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Mark chapter 9, verse 41. That's the good part, and it still holds true. But the curse is still true too. In uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, we are promised God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. God blesses those who bless you, and he will curse those who curse you. You know, never be angry. Never be angry at those who mistreat you. Be afraid for them, because God takes the mistreatment of you personally. Don't be bitter, but pray that God will be merciful. That's what the Passover meant in Egypt. But now, what did, did it mean in uh, Israel? Well, this first Passover was the symbol of their freedom. God told Israel, this is how you're to eat the Passover with your cloak tucked into your belt, uh, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You know, why would God have them dressed that way? Seems a little odd. It was because they were leaving town the next day and they were never coming back. You know, with their eating of the Passover, they were celebrating that this meal, the Passover, had become the very first day of the rest of their lives, their freedom. And Passover was the celebration of their becoming the nation of God. In Exodus chapter 12, uh, verses 26 through 27, it declares, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. This was the very first day of their being God's people with the Passover. They became a nation that belonged to God. Now, God recognized them before, but this was the moment that he frees them to fulfill that role. This was the exciting part of the Passover, and that was the part of the reason God placed so much emphasis on its yearly observance. For over 3,000 years, Passover was one of the most important meals of Jewish people. But there is another emphasis of Passover that God wanted Israel to recognize, and it was the need for purity and holiness before their God. Uh, this was the one time of the Jewish year they were not allowed to have leaven or yeast in their homes. And if you put yeast into bread, what happens to it? It rises, becomes like the bread we have in our homes. But if you don't put yeast in it, you pretty much have a cracker. But now, if I take a whole loaf of bread that has yeast in it, and I set it out for two, three months, what happens to it? It gets moldy, doesn't it? But if I take the cracker that doesn't have any yeast, and I can set it out for two, three months, there's no mold. It's the yeast that turns the bread ugly 
and unappetizing over time. And in the same way, God used this imagery of yeast to talk about sin. Sin in a person's life can be nice, desirable, tasty for a while, but in time, the sin begins to eat away at the desirability of the thing. It destroys the sweetness of the bread uh, in our lives, and it turns life ugly. Yeast represented sin. And over the years, the Jews began a ceremony associated with the, the removal of yeast from the homes. The wives of each home would spend an entire week searching through their homes, removing anything that had any yeast. And then at the end of that week, the husband would make a grand production of searching throughout the home to find anything that she might have missed. Now, the wife would leave just a few crumbs of yeast for him to find. And he would take a, a feather and he would sweep those crumbs onto a wooden spoon and he'd wrap the crumbs and spoon in a white napkin and take it all outside and it was burnt. And then he would declare, if there is any leaven left in the house, may it be like the dust of the earth. They purged everything. You know, why go through all that elaborate ceremony? Because they understood that the leaven represented sin and that God wanted no sin to be in their homes. And that was a message driven home year after year at Passover. So that's what Passover meant to the Jewish people for thousands of years. And yet, while the celebration of Passover was mandated for them, God made sure that Exodus, even though it's not mandated for us to celebrate today, would be given to us as a remembrance and an example because Passover means something for us too, even to Christians thousands of years later. Why? Exodus eleven seven, 7, uh, that verse about how God is going to silence even the dogs, it also says, the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. You know, what made the difference? The death angel stopped at most of the homes, but not all. What made the difference? Why were some spared? Were they better people? No, they, they weren't better people. The, the Israelites, they crossed the Red Sea, they built a calf, had an orgy, ran out of food and water, and cursed God. It wasn't their morality that made the difference. You say, well, they had priests. God gave them priests that, that could perform ceremonies and sacrifices and rituals, uh, and that saved them. No, empty, repetitive formalities, that didn't save them. No ritual, no morality could make the difference. Only one thing could make the difference, the blood of the Lamb. And here's the theme of the entire Bible. It is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In for uh, uh, chapter one of John's gospel, Jesus is introduced, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You know, all the other sacrifices were leading up to this. They were just pictures of the perfect Lamb to come, the Lamb to span all eternity. Yeah, Exodus, it's not the story of Moses leading his people out of Egypt. It's not the story of Pharaoh and his hard heart. It's not even the story just of God rescuing his people then and there out of Egypt. No, Exodus is the tale of two cities. It's the story of how God makes a difference. He divides the world. He made a difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites, not because of their morality, not because of their rituals, but because of the blood of the lamb. Exodus is the demonstration that God's wrath is real, 
And it's scary. I mean, frogs jumping out of the Nile and swarms of locusts descending, that's terrifying. So are boils and death. Judgment is real. Death is real. It is appointed to all men and then the judgment. Exodus shows us that. But it also shows us that as real and as certain as judgment is, there's a way for it to pass us over. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that'll do it for this episode of Rooted Daily. I cannot wait to sit down and open up God's Word with you next time. Thanks for watching this episode of Rooted Daily. We're praying that you're growing with us as we study the Bible and use God's Word as our only foundation. If you appreciate this content and want to make sure others see it, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app and hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Jesus, let's talk today. Just send me a text to 317-207-2734.